Welcome to Upstream Downstream, a lively civil discussion devoted to the political, policy, and cultural topics that often divide us. Upstream Downstream is presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communication at Shepherd University in cooperation with WSHC-FM and the Listen, Learn, Engage initiative. And now for this week's discussion. Welcome to Upstream Downstream. I'm Bianca Eisen. Today we are joined by Wendy Baraka. She is the Director of Counseling here at Shepherd University and has over 20 years' experience working in the mental health field, providing counseling and educational support services in community and school-based settings. Today we're going to talk about one of those support programs, or tactics if you will, the Nurtured Heart Approach. Wendy, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's start with the basics. What is the Nurtured Heart Approach? So the Nurtured Heart Approach is a social and emotional methodology that was created by Howard Glasser, who is a therapist and lives out in the Southwest, who at the time of the beginnings of the approach was working with families and in particular children who were really struggling in all domains. So these were um, children with incredibly intense behaviors that were having a hard time maintaining at home, in classrooms, sometimes in residential treatment facilities, and traditional methods of behavior management seem to be throwing fuel on the fire. So Howard just started to sort of tune in to like the energy exchange with these families and and these kids in particular and recognize that a lot of times we really show up with big reactions, juicy lectures, and a lot of energy when things are going wrong. And the thought process was, what if we sort of turn that upside-down energy around and start to notice, name, and really show up when things are going well or when expected behaviors are happening, which are pretty easy to overlook in our busy day-to-day lives. So that's kind of the, the birthplace of the approach is paying attention to the fact that really difficult behaviors weren't being transformed through like traditional methods of discipline. And so how, you know, how do we turn that around? And I became aware of the approach when I was studying in my graduate program and also struggling as a parent (laughs) with a really spirited kid. And uh, so when I first learned about it, it was just like I was hearing my story. And so I really decided to, to dive in and learn about this approach and eventually came to add it to my repertoire as a, a counselor and a school-based social worker. And I really believe that it has the capacity to help deepen our connections with not just kids that we might be trying to serve, but also with colleagues, with our partners in life, our friends, and it helps to give us a set of tools to deal with adversity in better ways 
and to really learn how to direct our energy and our values into, you know, what seems to be the most impactful thing we can do in our everyday lives, which is connect with ourselves and others. So I'd like to go back a little bit, because as you said, the nurtured heart approach is supposed to succeed where conventional methods have failed. As you say, they add fuel to the fire for the behaviors that we don't want to see. But I'd like to talk a little bit about what are these conventional methods? Are they the behaviors that we as the teacher, the social worker, or even as a leader or parent, are these the behaviors that we default to? Or are they things that we've been trained to do to handle situations? (laughs) That's a great question. So I think it's a bit of both. So many times I think we are taught to, when we see a problem, we lean in. We really focus on it. We try to address it. The ways that, you know, I was taught to address challenges with children might be through communication. So if I see that a rule is being broken, then that might be a good time to correct the problem behavior and to talk about why it's important to follow the rules and, um, you know, to lean in to lean in when things are going wrong. And also, you know, a very classic method of behavior management is time out, (laughs) right? So the idea uh, if there is a child who is misbehaving that we just sort of, you know, gently or forcefully try to remove that child from the situation put them in a certain spot and let them regain their cool for a certain period of time and then hope that once they rejoin the group or the situation that they are back, you know, to great behavior and good choices. And for some kids who have easygoing temperaments and, you know, might not be dealing with neurodevelopmental differences or may have had all of their needs met and they are at a readiness level to reset themselves, then then those conventional methods could totally work. But if we're dealing with a child that has a different sort of temperament, might be really intense in their emotional reactions or they've experienced trauma and they've learned and had to adapt in other ways where their brain and body doesn't always feel safe. And so they are responding more with that fight, flight, or freeze than that logical, oh, I'm supposed to share with this person or I'm supposed to keep my hands to myself when I'm really very angry. If we are using conventional methods with those more intense behaviors or kids that have those more intense circumstances, sometimes it adds fuel to the fire. So I've heard a lot of parents in my experience and time working with families talk about how timeout doesn't work or sending their child to their room doesn't work or removing privileges doesn't work. It sometimes results in like, young people being even more challenging or we as parents lose our cool because we're already stressed to the max, right? And if we think about educators being in classrooms where they're managing 25 to 30 or more students and they're 
you know, maybe back in the day might have been maybe one child who was really struggling with their behavior, but nowadays we know that it's more like maybe a quarter of the children sometimes, depending on the classroom, depending on the area. Behavior management has become much more of an issue in classrooms. We know that more and more children have experienced traumatic events, particularly now that we're in a time of pandemic, that is its own traumatic event. So having tools that are more beneficial, that have that broader approach of really increasing connection and being able to know when we want to show up with our big words and our big energy, it can really help to change the game. So I'd like to talk about some of these tools that you've mentioned, because as you've said, timeouts don't always work, Mm -hmm. taking away privileges don't always work. So as opposed to using the more traditional methods, how would we approach that situation using a nurtured heart approach? So there's three specific stands that um, are the basis for the approach, and they include absolute no, absolute yes, and absolute clarity. And it takes some time to really grasp these stands, but I'm going to give you kind of the nutshell. (laughs) So if we're talking about absolute no, we have to recognize that there are some things that we do not want to energize. And if we are engaged in a battle with either a young person or a peer or a colleague, and the battle is one in which we either don't agree or we are losing our cool trying to have our say or to address the situation, then we have to know when to really hone in and give our energy to something and when we need to pull back and maybe not always show up in the blow up in the most interesting and vibrant of ways because then we're really giving energy to a problem that can add fuel to the fire. So absolute no is sort of doing that energy audit of what really gets my buttons pushed. How am I showing up for negativity versus positivity or when things are going even just remotely well? And recognize that our energy is a prize. So I don't want to hand out energetic $100 bills to a child who is acting out by only showing up when they're blowing up. Because that can get downloaded as, this is the time I get an adult's attention. This is the time I get the teacher's attention. This kind of behavior is what gets me out of class. This kind of behavior is what gets me, you know, an audience with the most powerful person in the school, which might be the principal. And now in our adult minds, the challenge here could be that we might not see a child getting sent to the principal office as a reward, but in the life of an intense child who is really looking for any kind of power and control that they can get their hands on, and they only get that when they're acting out or blowing up versus when they're, you know, doing what's expected, we can sort of be more hands-off. We can not necessarily ignore them, but overlook the positive, overlook the ways that they're trying 
to meet the needs of other people in the classroom or other people in the home, then that's kind of what absolute no looks like. Absolute yes is that we get really radical in our ability to show up when things are going right. And that's not necessarily to be confused with empty praise, but to recognize that sometimes a child walking through the door in the morning is a success if we think about what they've been dealing with at home. Sometimes a child sitting still for a few minutes in a desk is an absolute success. And we don't necessarily want to overlook those small moments of success. We want to note that there's some values being demonstrated here. And if I can show up with more vibrant energy with my words and my attention when things are going right, then that's going to make a difference in connecting with a student or connecting with a colleague or connecting even with myself. Because face it, you know, our self-talk isn't always the most kind, right? So sometimes we're beating ourselves up over how we're showing up in our day-to-day lives. And so this approach not only gives us tools to kind of redirect our energy in, in working with other people, whether it's children or adults, but also in our relationship to ourselves. So absolute yes is, is absolutely committing to showing up when things are going right, to naming it, to seeing the values and naming the values and what we see, and to, you know, giving the reward of our relationship in those moments of success more than we might give the reward of our relationship in moments of adversity. And then absolute clarity is boundaries. What are my rules? What are my rules for, you know, how I want to show up in a situation? What are the rules of my classroom? What are the rules of our home? What are the rules and expectations of myself or my team at the workplace? And then relying on that clarity and those boundaries and holding the line when we need to and not just sort of overlooking when those lines are crossed, which for really intense children or really intense situations, if we don't hold the line of our boundaries, things get really confusing and we can be adding fuel to a fire of of any sort of problem if we're overlooking our own values and our own roles. You're listening to Upstream Downstream, sponsored by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications and the Listen, Learn, Engage initiative at Shepherd University. I'm joined today by Wendy Baraka, the Director of Counseling here at Shepherd University, to talk about the Nurtured Heart Approach. So, Wendy, what are some of the advantages to using the Nurtured Heart Approach? Some of the advantages include really almost having the superpower of connecting with people on more of a a heart level. So we are able to form relationships that are impactful a little bit more quickly when we are using our energy to focus on the things that are going right um, and to, you know, have the ability to recognize that we have some power and influence, even when we're stressed and overwhelmed. So I think it is a, a superpower for connection. That's one great benefit. Another benefit is that sometimes, you know, when we are over-focused on problems and 
like right now, living in a pandemic, we can get so incredibly overwhelmed that we start to lose hope, that we burn out. So the Nurtured Heart Approach gives us these wonderful tools that we can learn how to use adversity and intensity as opportunities to show up in the ways that we really want to, as reminders that, you know, we don't always have to solve everybody's problem, but if we can learn how to take care of ourselves, if we can learn how to take care more impactfully of one another, then we can make it through these struggles, you know, with a bit more grace, with a bit more compassion. There's tools and strategies to the approach that help to increase our ability to um, be impactful in relationships and also to change the culture in classrooms, to change the culture in our workplace and in our homes. There have been studies recently about the approach that have been going on at major universities that are showing improvements in symptoms of attention deficit disorder when this approach is used in families and classrooms targeting students that have the diagnosis of ADHD. It's helping to um, turn around rates of uh, referrals to the principal's office of suspensions in schools where the nurtured heart approach is being used as the primary disciplinary approach. There's an entire system of care in New Jersey that has adopted the approach and is training foster families, social workers that are going into the homes, addressing things like child abuse and neglect, that's training um, all kinds of systems and organizations that work to serve families and children in particular and education systems to help, you know, build people up from the ground up. And it's just, it's pretty remarkable personally what I have experienced with the approach is that I have a better set of tools for handling stress myself. And again, I came to this approach as a parent, but now I use it professionally and also, you know, in my friendships. (laughs) If I appreciate someone, I say it. And I try to help reflect what's going right. And and it has an impact. It has an impact on my ability to cope when tough stuff's happening all around me, Uh, my ability to cope with tough things that might be happening to my children and how can I support them through it. And also, you know, as uh, a new leader on campus here in counseling services, we've been experiencing a tremendous increase in students reaching out for help. So it's it's been a part of my way of connecting to colleagues and um, also my way of helping students by always naming what's going right and always being able to pull out the values and the things that they're sharing and to reflect them back to them. You know, someone might be really struggling, but if they reach out to counseling services, that tells me that they have the courage to ask for help, that they are open to um, and determined to make a difference in the way that they might be thinking, feeling, behaving, so that they have hope that things could get better. And, And all of that could be reflected in just a couple of minutes. 
And to see somebody light up when they're being seen and heard and recognized for demonstrating these values is is really uh, rewarding. And my hope is to share these tools so that other people will also, you know, feel like they have extra strategies. So I'm not saying throw out the ways that you've always learned how to, to resolve issues in a classroom or in a relationship, but these additional tools can help add hope. They can help us, you know, really learn how to confront people with moments of success and help them develop what, you know, Howard Glasser calls inner wealth and um, to really, you know, start to make more impactful cultural changes that are aligned with the other values we have here to, to educate, to engage students, to equip them with the tools to be awesome citizens out in the world and to really make a difference. So a word that keeps coming up in our conversation is intensity. And as someone who has often been considered too much, both as a child and now, (laughs) intensity is often seen as a very negative attribute. Can you talk to me about how to use intensity in children or even our colleagues to help promote their success? I love that question. So intensity is life force, right? It's, It's necessary. It's the thing that drives us to find our niche, to find our purpose. And it can also be something that could be off-putting to ourselves or to other people. It could be something that's labeled as pathology sometimes, especially in younger kids, if they have real passionate emotions, if they can't seem to handle anger or if they just want what they want and they're going to get what they want no matter what, we can channel that intensity and we can learn how to use it to promote success. It is not a bad thing. It is, it's our life force. So I think that's kind of what Howard was really tuning in to. And, you know, if, if you ever had a conversation with him, he'll tell you that like his firsthand experience was being a super intense kid that nobody felt like they could handle And so when he was, you know, in this therapist role and developing this approach and recognizing that, oh my gosh, you know, how do we harness this intensity so that, you know, it can be used in greater and greater ways versus being, you know, used as a way to drive wedges in between relationships or just misused because, you know, frankly, we don't often, we're not often taught how to use it. Maybe it's just the message has been you got to chill out. You got to damp down that intensity. And in this approach, we're not damping down the life force. We're figuring out ways to use it to promote each person's passion and purpose and help each person develop to use their intensity in ways that turn into motivation and determination and drive and excellence. So rock that intensity is what I'm saying. (laughs) Part of the mission of the Stubblefield Institute is to promote civil discussions, particularly around politics. And these conversations themselves can get pretty intense. Yeah. Can you talk to me about how someone could use the nurtured heart approach to de-escalate a conversation? Oh, absolutely. So I have had some nice firsthand experience (laughs) in this. When I was younger 
and and maybe you know not necessarily more fiery but certainly wedded to my opinions and my ideology i would get into battles and sometimes i'll still go to battle i'm not going to say i won't but i recognize that through the skills that i've learned through this approach through figuring out like what do i want to give my energy to when do i need to pull back and and unplug when do I want to take the intense reaction I might have over hearing something upsetting and use that energy to redirect my attention to either processing it, sitting with it, and then making the next best choice based on what's my clarity of values. So if I'm, if I have someone sitting across from me saying something offensive, um, which has happened to me recently, I recognize that I didn't need to take the bait, that I can speak up when I need to speak up and I can say that's offensive to me or when I hear words like that, it makes me extremely uncomfortable and here's why. But I can also recognize that I don't always have to respond. I don't always have to take the bait. I can say what's true for me and I can unplug when I need to. And some conversations, some ways that people are engaging, whether it's like online through social media or in these no-win situations, we don't always have to respond or we could take the time to think before we respond. And so the tools that I have with these three stands are I know when to use my voice, I know when I need to pull back, um, and I know what my lines are, and that is super helpful. <laughs> For those who are interested, where can someone go to either learn more about or even possibly be certified in the Nurtured Heart Approach? So the um, there is a website for the Nurtured Heart Institute, but if you even just Google Nurtured Heart Institute, then the first thing that will come up is that web page, and there are opportunities to attend certification training intensives, and those have, since the pandemic, all been um, switched from live and in-person to virtual, and there are other training opportunities as well. Um, so say someone, you know, is a parent or an educator and they want to learn more about the approach, through that website, they have options for different types of training that they could invest in. There are books that they can read, that they can even get from our local, you know, Four Seasons. If they don't have a book in stock, they will order it for you. And so um, it could be as easy as, you know, reading a book about the approach and trying to implement the tools and strategies that way, going to a training that might be offered here on campus or in the community because there are other certified and advanced trainers in the panhandle and or, you know, going as far as to become a, a certified trainer through taking the certified training intensive, which is a five-day experience. And I've done it twice now. I'm an advanced trainer at this point and um, plan on, you know, renewing my certification before it expires. <laughs> Uh, so there's lots of opportunities. There's also some Facebook groups 
for the nurtured heart approach. One is um, your basic, anybody who's interested can join. There are certified trainers that are also on that group that chime in and answer questions. There are parents and educators who put out posts asking questions, asking for advice in certain situations. And it's like, it's just this great community of support. And then we have a trainer network also. So there, I believe on the website is the opportunity to find trainers in your particular community, in your particular state. And this is also something that's gone global. So there are, you know, pockets of trainers in other areas of the world, the UK, in um, Australia, in Germany, India. So there's just lots of... Um, Lots of opportunities for learning and for reaching out and getting support on the approach. And I'm afraid that's all the time that we have for this week's episode. I'd like to thank our guest, Wendy Baraka, for taking the time this week to talk to us about the Nurtured Heart Approach. Wendy, it's been great having you here. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'd also like to thank our producer, Sarah Burke, and our acting director, Greg Fields. Thank you all so much for listening. Until next week, I'm Bianca Eisen. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Upstream Downstream, presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University. To learn more about the Stubblefield Institute, other programs such as the Listen, Learn, Engage initiative or the American Conversation series, or to become a friend of the Institute, please go online to stubblefieldinstitute.org.